Hello, my name is Achim Dubermann and I'm the Chief Scientist of IFA. Today we'll talk about accelerating innovation. We know, I think, all that innovation is going to be one of the key drivers for the transformation of the crop nutrition industry, but also many other sectors that one way or another have to contribute to a more sustainable world in the future. But this is the topic that we will tackle a little bit today, and I'm very pleased to have uh, two outstanding guests with us here today. Uh, first, I wish to welcome uh, Kim Nicholson, who's the Vice President of Ag Technology and Innovation at the Mosaic Company in the United States. And then I have with us uh, uh, Mike Pereira, who's the Chief Agronomist of Finister Ventures. So he will look at the innovation from a more sort of startup uh, and investment uh, angle as well. So we will look at this obviously from a more pragmatic point of view. There are many different uh, definitions of innovation, uh, but maybe we'll start with Kim. Uh, Kim, we, we're constantly being told that we need to be more innovative to come up with new solutions that work in the real world. What is your definition of innovation and how is that different from what we used to do in our, if you wish, normal research and development processes? Yeah, I think for me, what has changed about innovation is how we think about it. I mean, I think we went through a period where we invented things because we could. We, we were understanding a lot about, you know, chemistry and soil science and, and all the things that are related to that. And we created tools and technologies for producers to, you know, to grow better crops. Now, I think in the innovation world, we're starting to think about really understanding, really digging into the customer need and thinking broadly about the customer. Is the customer just the farmer or is the customer the food consumer, you know, down the uh, value chain and trying to really explore those areas and thinking about innovative ways that we can deliver to each customer in the value chain. So I think we're just thinking about it from a different approach and, you know, really using all those insights and learning. And then you know, certainly no one can ignore the power of data in our generation and, you know, how we can accumulate so much data and, and uh, are starting to get better at using that for data to decisions. Mike, how would you define innovation? And if you had to name one example, what was perhaps the most inspiring innovation that you may have experienced? Well, Webster doesn't help us out very well on this, really, because Webster says it's just a new idea, method, or device, which really leaves a lot to the imagination. You know, they talk about four different types of, of innovation, incremental, disruptive, architectural, and radical. I like disruptive and radical. That's, where, that's the startup world for me. And my definition of uh, innovation is basically solving a problem not currently solvable, in a way no one has thought about. And uh, really, from my standpoint, it often comes from wild ideas in the beginning that start to take form and function and then iteratively begins to make sense. And I think the key prerequisite for successful inter uh, innovation is to have and maintain a very open mind. And so if you're an innovative company and you want to remain innovative, you've got to look for people that have that mindset. With regard to something inspiring, I've been in the seed business now for 41 years. So that's the basis of what I'm going to be talking about here. And this particular innovation was associated with photoregulation of soybean seeds to improve yield and also to improve plant health. 
by stimulating photoregulated growth pathways. Now, think about this. Uh, The thing that's inspiring to me is that seeds, people think of them as dormant. And the fact that the growth pathways aren't even operating as seeds, yet this, this particular technology actually was able to demonstrate and stimulate growth pathways in seed. And the second thing that kind of inspired me about this is that really they had to adapt that technology to the flow of seed going through a cleaning and conditioning facility, and they go fast. And so they were able to actually uh, modify this particular technology so that the, the treatment time was in terms of seconds. And for me, that's super, super innovative. That's pretty cool. And I think it already illustrates that the fertilizer industry is part of a much bigger food industry. And it is, it is also heavily affected by numerous other things that are happening around the world, including global change. What might be some of the innovations occurring in these other sectors that could one way or another profoundly affect our industry? and the innovations that we would need to work on more. How do we integrate all that, Kim? Yeah, I mean, I think if there's one thing the pandemic taught us is that everyone sort of paid so much more attention to where their food is coming from. It became uh, increasingly apparent. Well, you know, consumers were becoming, you know, a little more aware the the pandemic really shone the light on some of the supply chain inefficiencies, but also just food production in general. And so I think we have to think about it all very holistically, sort of thinking about the entire value chain from uh, the farmer that's producing everything from grains, meats, vegetables, fibers, you know, a lot of things that that influence our, our daily lives all the way out to the final products. And um, people are more and more concerned about traceability, understanding exactly how that watermelon was grown or exactly where the, um, you know, the leather for my shoes came from. Uh, And so, you know, consumers are just getting more hyper aware. And so as a food production industry, which we're all part of, we really have to pay attention to how those things interconnect. And it's going to require a fair amount of innovation to both meet those challenges, but also meet the demands that, again, the the world is putting on the industry for how we protect soils and protect water and uh, protect the earth from any kind of damage or disruption. So all those things sort of, I think, collide together in creating some new opportunities for innovation and, and uh, ultimately for change. It's a, it's a complex world out there, no question about that. And we need to think about the whole food system now. But broadly speaking, we're still in the end in need of specific technology. So Mike, what would be two or three technologies that are somewhere in the pipeline that, in your opinion, could become real game changers? And why? Or what are investors such as Finister Ventures and others are looking for? Yeah, we'll talk about game changer. I think that's an overused term because it's a really high bar. It's like coming uh, up with a vehicle that goes zero to a thousand miles an hour in the same amount of time the current vehicles go from zero to 60. It's it's really jaw-dropping. And as Spencer Mon, co-founder and partner of Finister Vincer, says, it's stuff that kills stuff. And so really in the whole scheme of things, it comes about from, first of all, a high level of innovation, a bit of luck 
in alignment of the stars, really, because in any innovation, there's a lot of moving parts and they all have to work together. So really, it's rare. A couple of examples that come to mind more broadly uh, already are the microchip and, of course, the nuclear bomb. When we talk about game changers, we're talking about those sorts of things. And I think more contemporarily and broadly today, I think gene editing can become a game changer. But I think people are still weighing how benevolent it is and how malevolent it can be. So it's still out there. But I mean, that's something that that really could be a game changer. With regard to ag tech, I don't think that any one technology in and of itself will be a game changer. It'll be a synergy amongst technology that will become game changers, sort of putting these things together for the big bang, so to speak. And so really, I think that's what investors like Finister Ventures uh, in this space are looking towards. And uh, really, from my standpoint, my hopes and prayers are that there will be game changers focused on climate change. And of course, feeding 10 billion people with 70% more food production by 2050. So I can't really put my finger on a game changer in ag tech yet, but I know it's coming. That's good to hear. Now, Kim, you work, if you wish, you know, forgive me if I say this, in a big old company, uh, Mosaic, you know, one of the largest uh, crop nutrition companies in the world. How do you go about in a comp- innovation in a company like that, both internally and maybe also in terms of how you work with that crazy and growing startup world around you? Yeah, I think here at Mosaic, we've we've always embraced innovation from the standpoint of, you know, really trying to think how we, at the end of the day, we're a mining company. We mine phosphate and potash from the earth and, and turn it into fertilizer, but then thinking more broadly about how those things get used. And so innovation's been at our, our core. And I think in, in recent years, we've started to think more holistically about crop nutrition and also recognize that it innovation doesn't have to always come from inside our walls, that there's a lot of really amazing companies out there that are doing very interesting things. And so partnership with those companies, you know, can be very fruitful for both parties. And that that's sort of the spirit that we enter into our partnerships. We, we have four public partnerships with startup companies now with Anuvia, for a novel fertilizer and bioconsortia for a nitrogen fixing bacteria with agbiome for a phosphate solubilizing bacteria and then with sound agriculture for their small molecule chemistry and really when we approached those partnerships it was about what both parties bring to the table and uh, you know the good old-fashioned the rising tide lifts all boats and we want to make sure that you know what we're doing is beneficial to both parties not not just to the big company, but to the small company as well. And can we put the things that we're, match the things that we're good at and find uh, the places where we overlap and the places where we're different and, you know, capitalize on that. So those have been really interesting partnerships that supplement our own internal innovation. So clearly we need to push innovation forward from various angles. So there's a growing ecosystem of startups out there. So what role can those realistically play and how can we harness their potential even better? Well, there certainly are a bunch of startups out there, that's for sure. And and from my perspective, the role that they realistically play is what we really want. And that is to generate those wild ideas 
a small subset of which becomes innovations. And, and really inherent in all of that is that few of the, starting, the startups will f- cross the finish line. And really, from my standpoint, almost every startup founder or founders believe that they're an exception to this. And so they have to learn that particularly well. But the best way really to harness this positive energy that they have is to really educate the startups on the key success factors for being successful. And that's a solid value proposition, a credible path to scale, awesome talent, and the sensibilities to learn to walk before you run. And uh, this last factor in particular, I think, is really important because I've been a part of startups and evaluated startups that have built out their sales and marketing efforts before they even have critical field trial results. And so I think that's uh, important. So how do you how do you educate these people? Well, from my standpoint, I like the idea of the ag tech incubators that are sprouting up, such as Sprout in New Zealand, Fresh Start in Israel, and the Venture Catalyst at UC Davis as as examples. And uh, really, these provide education from mentors that have been through the process. And it's an easy vehicle for venture capital firms like Finister to invest in an incubator uh, rather than taking the risks on individual startups. So I think that's a a nice way of, uh, of assisting startups to be successful. We'll come back to some of that in a minute, but before that, Kim, th- let's talk about products. The crop nutrition industry, like any others, uh, makes many products. Do we now need to look at these products also from more different innovation angles, for example, in terms of what they do for soil health or the environment or human nutrition? Is this already sufficiently part of a new value proposition that we also need to feeds through more innovation? Absolutely. I think, you know, we know that crop nutrition is vital for crop growth and development, just like human nutrition is vital for our own bodies to grow and develop. But how we approach that, the use of crop nutrition, I think is a a major area of innovation. And we're understanding more and more about the soil microbiome and its interaction both from a kind of a ESG perspective, but also in terms of how it really helps the the plant's growth and development. I mean, there's just so much work going on in a couple of areas. One, thinking about the soil microbiome, but also thinking about the challenge of carbon sequestration. You know, all of a sudden people woke up and turned around and said, look at all this agriculture. Look at all these guys growing green things that uh, could offset uh, carbon emissions where we're, we're not doing such a great job using fossil fuels and things like that. But now is the question of how we harness all that, how we do it in a way that is sensible and uh, protects the productivity of not just the the crop and the farm, but the livelihood of the farmers themselves. So, you know, there's a lot of eyes turning. I laugh that, you know, we're starting to look down at our feet and really think about soil as a new frontier and how, um, you know, how we manage and, and really work with the soil in order to improve our productivity while at the same time protecting the earth. Yeah, as a, as a scientist, I'm maybe sometimes a bit sarcastic when I see some of the ideas being proposed. You know, the, the hype to reality ratio seems to be quite wide. You know, uh, there are many ideas and new technologies, but often also pretty poor business cases or unrealistic expectations or too much hype generated also by investors and, or the media. So all of that is possible. 
uh, Mike, can you name any examples uh, in the past that uh, you know that would fit that sort of uh, scenario and tell us what one can learn from those? Well, you're absolutely right, and there are a number of examples, but I'll focus on one, which is my experience with a Jatropha startup. Now, Jatropha is a semi-tropical shrub that produces high oil content seeds used as a feedstock for biodiesel. And it was really hyped up as a commercially viable biofuel and an investor darling, really, in the mid-2000s until 2015. I came in around 2012 and I solved a couple of issues there, hybrid seed production as well as uh, time to profitable yields for plantation level feedstock production. Well, this quickly led to startups pushing out revenue models and attracting customers based on plantations at a scale of a thousand plus hectares, just based upon what I had done on a research uh, <laughs> on a research level. So really the cart before the horse, because at the end of the day, what people didn't understand was that in order to be able to harvest such a large surface in a timely manner, it required a number of harvesters that did not exist that could travel at a speed that no tree or shrub fruit harvester was capable of. Now, so what are the learnings from that and, and just in general? Well, the first is that there are a lot of nuts and bolts details attached to the coattails of innovation. So make sure you know what they are. Analyze in detail what your overall business needs to look like at scale and how much that will cost. And then have a solid base for what your profitable leverage position needs to be. For Jatropha, in that example, the base case was crude oil prices at $85 a barrel. Well, if you can remember in 2015, the price of oil went down to about 35 or 40 so <laughs> unexpected. And also really, I think important is to identify alternative markets for your product should you need to for supplement your primary market target. So I think that's uh, sort of a, a bunch of little learnings that uh, I think will be important for any startup. Yeah, we should, we could probably go on and on with examples like this, but clearly making things work in the real world and at a larger scale requires um, a sufficient amount of rigor and also honest evaluation. But probably also, particularly also new and faster field trialing approaches, particularly when we talk about crop nutrition solutions. Mike, you are part, and we actually all are part of a new program called Farm 2050 Nutrient Technology Trialing Platform. Can you tell us a bit more why it was created, by whom, and how does it work, and what has been the response so far? All in two minutes. No. <laughs> so I'll hit the highlights, really. So Farm 2050, it's a global initiative which was created in 2014 with the premise that new and innovative agricultural technologies would be needed to feed those 10 billion people with an increase of 70% uh, global food production. So it's really a coalition of a lot of uh, a broad swath of agricultural investor and governmental NGO entities. Right now we have basically 38 partners, 85 participants, and the NTTP was really created uh, to provide a global platform focused on nutrient use efficiency. and. Uh, this is basically what we're talking here. And, and really, in terms of what does it provide for the participants, which I think are, is important. Uh, first is the third-party validation of their technologies on a multi-regional level. I think that's important. Uh, 
a global platform to demonstrate that their technologies and associated value propositions work at a global level. It's a least, it offers the least costly trialing program and really wide exposure to investors, collaborators, and potential customers, as well as the added uh, benefit of the public relations associated with, uh, with Farm 2050. In terms of how it works, it works through a funding mechanism with regional trialing partners. And uh, currently, the trialing partners are Plant and Food Research in New Zealand, Western Growers Association in the Western USA, and Nutrien in the Eastern USA. And we'll soon identify another regional partner in Ireland. The initiative has a business lead, a technical lead. I'm the technical lead and is overseen by a steering committee. And uh, Akeem and Kim, you're both part of that. And the crops of focus right now are dairy pasture, corn, and grapes. And uh, we are underway with uh, initial trials in New Zealand. Uh, we got dozens of applicants and we picked out five participants. Uh, I won't go through all of them, but just to say that, that really they're all focused very much on, on uh, dairy pasture at this point in time. So that's a that's a lot a chunk of stuff and there's more more stuff available really information wise and you can you can access that at farm2050.com and there's a tab there called nutrient platform and that's where you can learn a lot more about the details. Well, that's excellent. I think that's also a wonderful point to close this little program here today. And I think we've left you with three big messages. One is very clear innovations not just in our industry, but in other industries will profoundly affect the crop nutrition industry across it, or everything it does. Two, there are numerous opportunities for accelerating innovation, but they also require embracing an innovation culture. And last but not least, scaling up farmer adoption is the real challenge. There are many great ideas, many new technologies that never reach that stage or fail because they move too late to the real world stage. We would like to encourage you to move much, much faster in that direction. And you've heard a number of ideas on that. Thank you very much to Mike and Kim, and please join us next time again. <laughs>